If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! I would not call today's verdict justice, however, because justice implies true restoration. But it is accountability, which is the first step towards justice. And now the cause of justice is in your hands. And when I say your hands, I mean the hands of the people of the United States. Welcome to the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar, and that was the voice of Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison, April 20th, 2021, just moments after a jury returned a guilty verdict against a former Minneapolis police officer for the Memorial Day 2020 killing of George Floyd. Floyd's death prompted a surge of demonstrations in Minneapolis and beyond. Nemours' own demonstration against racism took place shortly thereafter, June 5th, 2020. White Coats for Black Lives, an eight-minute, 46-second kneel-in by Nemours Associates at locations across the enterprise and even from home offices, this being the height of the pandemic. Associate Cindy Bowe was among the hundreds who took part that day from her home base at the Nemours Children's Hospital in Wilmington, Delaware. I think the eight minutes and 46 seconds gave us a chance to really reflect how long, first of all, that time period is. It allowed us to reflect and really stop and pause and think. And the moment that we got up, you know, from kneeling, I've heard people say that moment of physically standing up signified standing up to racism. So what progress has been made here at Nemours in terms of anti-racism, equity, diversity, and inclusion in the last year? Cindy Bowe, Senior Vice President for Strategy and Business Development in the Delaware Valley and Interim Enterprise Chief Diversity Officer, joins me today for an update on the progress of what is now known as the Nemours Drive Initiative. DRIVE stands for diversity, anti-racism, inclusion, value, and equity. It is an enterprise strategy for Nemours and underpins many of the things that we do on a day-to-day basis. It is, first and foremost, a strategy that supports Nemours being an anti-racism organization. And so when we say we are an anti-racism organization, we essentially create an environment for our children, family, and associates, regardless of their race or color of their skin, to know that they are valued. And we are committing to battling racial disparities in the United States through many of the different factors in the work that we do that impact the health of children. And we want to ultimately achieve equitable health outcomes for children. So you started this from scratch a year ago, and much has changed. What has changed for you as a result of the DRIVE initiative over the past year and for the organization? So what has changed for the organization is really a complete change in mindset and philosophy. I say this and choose these words carefully because it is different for everyone. 
And so as an organization, we are a composite of different people, all of our human capital and, and, and associates. And so when we think about the collective group, it is really looking at our day-to-day operations, our jobs, our duties to serve our children and families and one another as associates in creating a lens that now we're looking through. And that's always with DE and I in mind. We call it DRIVE because we added actually two more letters. We added anti-racism and value, so the R and the V. And we really believe that in a pediatric healthcare institution such as Nemours, we really have to incorporate all five of those letters. Because ultimately, when we think about achieving equitable health outcomes, that's where the value equation comes in for our patients and families. So DEI alone is already important, and that's the lens that we look through. But adding the notion of being an anti-racism organization, plus the fact that we are always aspirationally trying to achieve perfection in you know, equitable health outcomes, where value comes in, that's why those five letters are chosen very carefully. And again, it's a mindset shift. It's a philosophy shift. And it's a shift because everybody's starting point is very different. And we respect that. It's a cultural shift. And that is not easy. And not everybody has the same starting and endpoints. In some cases, honestly, some may not be ready for it. But that said, it is incumbent on all of us to be able to at least have the educational tools and skill sets to make that decision and start that journey whenever we are ready. And I think for the most part, as an organization, as a collective group, we are ready. We have a lot of work to do, but that recognition that this is important and an imperative and underpins our strategy in in everything that we do is, I think, a goal in and of itself, a milestone in and of itself. So throughout the past year, I would say that as an organization, that has changed. Being able to recognize that there is a starting point, that we have a lot of work to do, and that we all recognize how important this work is. Those are the milestones. For me personally, I have been humbled and honored to serve in this interim role. As you know, a year ago when we started, it was really based off of work that we had already started about a decade ago through our Office of Health Equity and Inclusion. I always recognize the giants and the shoulders we stand on. And I want to give credit to the Office of Health Equity and Inclusion because that office has always been there. And it was due to a number of individuals about a decade ago who had the sort of the vision and the thinking that DE&I is important in the work that we do. How could it not be? It's just that with the past year's events with social injustice and all the things that we've read about or probably engaged in, that it's been um, accelerated and catalyzed. And now it is incumbent on all of us to recognize, you know, health equity, inclusion, diversity in everything that we do. And not just a standalone office, but again, to reiterate the first question you asked me, that it becomes a philosophy, a mindset, a culture change that we should all be embracing. What's the importance of this initiative to ultimately the the families and patients, the kids that we serve? Well, it's important because at the end of the day, any patient who comes through our doors, who receives care or touches our system in a way because they don't necessarily have to be sick to receive the impact that we create 
we could do a lot of work in the community, for example, with schools, with wellness. And so it's important because every single person who we serve wants to feel that they're getting equitable treatment. They deserve the right to be able to get the best, no matter where they are, who they are, how they look like, where they're from. And so with that said, putting ourselves in the shoes of the patients and families, it's that important to be able to get it right. So practically, when things get translated from concept to practice, some examples have been things like signage. When we have patients walking through the hallways and they're seeing signs, things like wayfinding signs in their own language, Spanish, Haitian Creole, that's important. I could give you another example, practically speaking. When we think about our teams and who we serve, we want our teams to be reflective of the communities whom we serve. So that goes back to pipeline, recruitment, and onboarding. So where are we recruiting from? Where are we looking into in terms of the talented workforce of the future? That's all thoughtfulness that has to go into planning. And so recently, not only have we revamped our recruitment and onboarding processes so that we are more diverse like in terms of recruitment of diverse candidates and also inclusive so that once the candidates are hired, we are able to embrace them and make them feel like they belong at work. The belonging factor is really important. The other thing is that, you know, practically speaking, again, if you think about metrics of success, we need to close those associate turnover gaps. So when we look at it carefully by race, ethnicity, age, gender, we want to keep the best talent and not lose people inadvertently because we are not creating an inclusive environment, optimizing their own skill sets and bringing their authentic selves to work. For me, it's very important to not only be able to stand up initiatives that align with Drive, and we have eight work streams that are categorizing these different initiatives, but also to have the metrics to show success. Because at the end of the day, it's a balancing act between intent and impact. You can intend to do everything that you wanted to do under Drive. It sounds good. It is a strategy. In fact, everybody's embracing it as a philosophy and a mindset and needs to be committed to it. But if we're not seeing it from the standpoint of impact to our patients and families, then it really diminishes what we set out to achieve. So for me, it's really important to balance all that. And in the past year, a lot of work has been not only standing up those initiatives from an infrastructure perspective, but also being able to push on those initiatives so we begin to show impact and create momentum for our patients and families and associates. The work that we do is very complicated. In many cases, they may or may not exist already in our daily operational work. And so what we thought about when we started DRIVE is to be thoughtful about how we can merge and integrate what DRIVE is to what every day is. I always say the following, I joke, but it's uh, tongue in cheek. I think it's important to, to say this. When somebody goes, what's your aspirational goal? Like, what is, what is your ultimate goal for DRIVE? I will say that I actually want to do away with drive. And so they get this puzzled look and they say, well, why is that? And I said, because if we did our work correctly, drive wouldn't have to be called out as something separate. It would be just like breathing. It just is. And so until the day that we have integrated that philosophy, that culture, that mindset into everything that we do, 
right? That's that's our aspirational goal. Then we wouldn't need to have an acronym to remind us constantly or you know, work streams or whatnot, because it is in everything that we do, everything that we do every day. And so what we need to be able to do is segment them and categorize them appropriately. And so the eight work streams that have been set up include the following, pipeline recruitment and onboarding, education development and programming, which is foundational, as you know, associate engagement and retention, because there's a whole host of in, in, um, important initiatives to ensure that our associates feel like they belong, policies, processes, and culture, because you can do all the work, but if it's not enacted in policies or it's not captured in a way that is standardized or um, creating reliable methods, then there's some erosion from that. So we want to capture in, in terms of policies, processes, and then having it be part of culture. The last four are research and national prominence, because we know how important it is to be able to share our work and the results of our work. Child and family in, impact is at the core of everything that we do. That's the sixth work stream. Seventh and eighth are community engagement and health which is really outside the walls of Nemours. How are we engaging our families, even when they're not sick, even if they never have to come into our hospital? What is it that we're doing to ensure that we are reaching out into the communities to ensure that we're not only being supportive, but we are seen as safe? That's an important distinction. And last but not least, in order to tell our story really well with all the seven work streams, we have marketing and communications that is really thoughtful about how we communicate and extend ourselves, our brand, and who we are. And coincidentally, we just had a brand launch uh, with our new Loop of Care. And so a lot of thought with Drive had been going into Loop of Care because we always want to emphasize that equity is at the heart of what we want to be able to achieve. In this loop of care, we want to achieve equitable outcomes for our patients and families. It's important to realize that this is not done in a vacuum. Talk about the role of community groups, other healthcare systems and other providers, and even the public at large as you move forward with the DRIVE initiative. Sure. And so community engagement in health, we have a very strong Community Engagement External Affairs Department here in Amores. So even before DRIVE came into place, our leaders in Florida and in Delaware Valley have always engaged the community in various aspects. And by the word community, it's a word that can be interpreted so differently. We're talking about everybody from like our system partners, so like adult partners, adult hospitals, to other children's hospitals that we collaborate with here in the Delaware Valley. That can mean um, Children's Hospital Philadelphia, or it can mean St. Christopher's. It can also mean the state and the sort of the legislative bodies, right, that we always engage with, or the Chamber of Commerce, or independent referring uh, physicians who work closely with us, like our pediatricians in the community, all the way to payers, um, like managed care companies that we work, again, closely with, uh, and so forth and so on. So in each of those aspects, there may be a different way of really engaging them. I'll give you two examples, if I may. So when we think about large systems, so here in the Delaware Valley, we really are working closely with Jefferson Health, which you know is a very large system, adult system that spans multiple states. And about half a year ago, we had started to talk about how our strategies in building new programs, clinical programs, or new locations for access, for our patient access, need to incorporate health equity in our outcomes. 
So normally when we think about strategy, we would say, well, how many patients did we get? How much money did we make? You know, what is the rate that we got from the insurance companies? And we would think about these in sort of more business terms or traditional business terms and defining success. But I think success also has to include health equity. So are we reaching out to those individuals who need it most? So if we build something like a new program at a new location, are we thinking about social determinants of health? Are we thinking about the population who may or may not be able to reach this particular location and therefore not be able to have access to the best care possible? Are we thinking about our Medicaid children and families, right, who are very vulnerable? Are they able to receive, you know, transportation or any support that they need to be able to, again, receive the care that we intended to give? So that's one example. The other example is in terms of community engagement is not only going out there and being able to share that we are doing the drive work, but really investing in our communities, right? Going into the heart of the communities, engaging with, with people on a, on a level that's trusting, that elicits not only us being portrayed as an ally, as a support system for them if they need any clinical medical services, but also a safe space. There's a lot of medical mistrust out there that I think should be noted. COVID vaccine was just one example. I mean, prior to that, we had always struggled with our flu vaccination rates, right? Particularly with communities of color. Myself being a, a person of color, I can tell you my mom and dad had always been hesitant about vaccinations for me as a child. And so carrying that and growing up with that mindset allows me to work with the community engagement team to understand how can we go into the community with education, enlisting the, the maybe the influencers of a community, whether they be churches or, you know, barbershops or whatever it may be. And, and really going into the community instead of just saying, well, you know, we built something here and uh, they'll come here. No, they won't. And what we've learned through our data and our diligence and through conversations is that in order to engender trust, we need to make an effort and not just a once and done, but something that is continuous, something that is an ongoing dialogue and to be able to listen and to internalize the feedback is really important. And our leaders of the community engagement teams have been really thoughtful about that. So much so that nowadays, as we're continuing to build trust, we're talking about different community investments uh, where we may play a very active role within a community center or building something in the schools, right, where there's immediate access for our patients and families. So those are the two examples I can give, Carol. What are the obstacles that you are facing and you, I mean, everybody who's part of DRIVE is facing to move this forward? One of the biggest challenges, and we talk about this all the time, is that everyone is on a different journey. And so there is no one size fits all solution for everyone. And I'll give you an example, education. Education is foundational. Education is something that we would like everybody to have. But what do you roll out in terms of an education plan that would satisfy different people who are on different starting points? And the other thing that is really important is to be able to have it rolled out to all 8,500 plus associates. While DRIVE as a task force exists is about 150 person strong task force, that's a very, very small percentage of the 8,500 associates. And so one of the goals that we haven't reached yet is 
to ensure that everybody understands that drive exists in the organization as a resource, as an educational tool, as a group where people can go to if they're feeling that maybe they're experiencing microaggressions or biases and whatnot, so that everybody has access to drive. And we're not quite there yet. So part of the challenge also is not only are we in on different starting points, but the awareness factor that rolls out to every single associate that can touch every single associate is not there. And so there has to be a, an ongoing dialogue and communication for each of us as leaders to be able to cultivate, to be able to spread and disseminate information appropriately to all of our team members, whether that be in administration, on the clinical staff, on the practice side, outside of the hospital and various network locations that we have, all the way to our support services in um, EVS, environmental services, right? To our social workers, to our language interpreters, et cetera. All of us need to be aware that DRIVE exists because it is a resource that serves all of us. So that is really the challenge. And I think that the time will come because it's a year in, so it's a year young and it's constantly evolving, but with enough information and impact, I go back to impact, people can see the impact and then they feel that they can contribute or they feel drawn to it because they may feel this is something that the organization is truly investing in because we're seeing the impact of it. I invite all 8,500 plus associates to be part of the task force because each of us own a part of DRIVE. And like I said earlier in the beginning, my goal is to do away with DRIVE one day because it would be as natural as breathing or in the work that we do every day on an operational basis. So I'm listening to this today and I say to my supervisor, I want to be part of the DRIVE initiative that people can just do that? Yes, they can. Actually, they absolutely can. Our leaders at the highest levels of the organization, starting with Dr. Larry Moss, is committed to this particular strategy. And when we say committed, it doesn't mean that we just have signs about it, have a couple of meetings, you know, once a week, twice a week. It means that if associates learn about DRIVE and want to contribute in a meaningful way, either through a listening session that they want to attend or a class that they want to take, or a um, associate resource group that they want to join, or a policy that they want to help design, or a research project that they want to contribute to so that we can get grant funding, whatever it may be. Our managers should be equipped to be able to allow team members to participate in a meaningful way. And it stems from the top. So oftentimes in organizations, we may have these initiatives similar to DRIVE, but it will lose ground and it will actually lose credibility very, very quickly if we're not able to actually match actions to words. And so I'm monitoring that very carefully. Again, one of the challenges is to be able to spread the DRIVE work and the invitation to all 8,500 associates to join. So if you were an associate and you asked your manager to join, I can personally talk to you or any of the drive team members can talk to you. And we would first of all, work with you and your manager to see what capacity you can bring and have, or what, what, do you, what are you interested in? So that we're being very specific about what you want to be able to, to participate in and engage in. 
when we talk a year from now, <laughs> yeah. or when we talk three years from now or five years from now, right. where where do you see drive being at those particular points in time? So let's talk about a year from now. A, a year from now, I would hope three things happen. Okay. The first thing is that we'll have a permanent chief diversity inclusion officer, DEI officer here at Nemours because this individual will be highly skilled, dedicated, committed, and will have the expertise to launch us into the future. That's number one. Number two is to be able to make the proper investments and commitments to drive. In this first year of discovery, we have unearthed a lot of different potential things that we would love to do. We can't do all of them. We have to prioritize, right? But we do have a long list of things that we believe would be initiatives that will benefit the organization, our patients and families. And so that commitment from the organization, whether it's dollars or resources or time, I would like to see a year from now that we push on some of those initiatives that have either been started that could be accelerated or can start because they haven't been started yet. The third thing is to be able to have measurable impact to show on a dashboard, whether it be patient equity index, which a lot of our organizations in the healthcare world have started to show, being very transparent and authentic about, you know, who they serve and the outcomes of those individuals stratified by race, ethnicity, and language and gender, and being prominently displayed so that everyone internally or externally can see the benefits and the and the hard work and the intent um, through that impact. So that's a year from now. Five years from now, again, I go back. I hope we do not talk about drive. I hope that you and then the chief diversity inclusion officer will be talking about how the Moors has made strides in really achieving equitable outcomes, transforming generations of of children to be the healthiest, and really looking at Nemours and the work that we do, because presumably, DRIVE would have been embedded and integrated in everything that we do. Cindy Bowe is the Senior Vice President for Strategy and Business Development in the Delaware Valley. She also currently serves as the Interim Chief Diversity Officer for Nemours Children's Health. Many thanks to Cindy Bo for that update. Learn more about the White Coats for Black Lives event from 2020 in episodes 45 and 46 of the Champions for Children podcast. You'll find the links in the show notes for this episode of the podcast. Your feedback and your podcast ideas are always welcome. Simply email us at podcast at nemours.org. That's podcast at nemours.org. Thank you to the best production team around, Peter Adebi and Deborah Griffin. Shout out to the folks at Blue Dot Sessions in Turner's Falls, Massachusetts, for our theme music. The Nemours Champions for Children podcast is available on Nemoursnet and the Nemours Now app, along with your favorite podcast app and your smart speaker. Subscribe today and share it with your friends, family, and fellow associates. On behalf of Cindy Bowe, I'm Carol Vassar, and we thank you for listening to this edition of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. Until next time, please stay safe, stay well, and thank you for all you do for the children and families we serve.